0: Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Father, I ask this morning that the entrance of your word comes and brings light, understanding to the simple. I pray in the name of Jesus that questions be answered. I pray that cases be mentioned. I pray that your hand be strong upon your people. Grace to guide our loins and to run. I pray that your will be accomplished in every wise. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So the subject of faith Is probably the most talked about in the history of teaching. And faith is a subject that keeps confronting us because it is progressive by its nature. You need faith consistently. Faith is not an event and faith is not something we consult. Faith is what we live by. The just shall live by faith. And especially when you find that your faith is not producing, there's the tendency to raise and to ask questions consistently. Why is my faith failing? unable to produce thank you guys you may please sit god bless you let's appreciate them one more time Thank thank you hallelujah so questions of what faith is why faith is not working confronts even the most experienced believer and even those who have worked the longest with god at each point in time something will confront you that will make you ask do i believe does the word of god work And when those questions come, you should never be afraid to openly ask and ask for help and ask to understand it. And this morning, the subject of faith comes up again. So in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls his disciples and the Bible says that he gave them the authority. Some say the power. No, but the power there is really the authority. He gave them the authority to go into villages but barred them from two sets of places. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. It's not time. And there was one other one. I, I, my memory fails me now. But that's not really what's important. He gave them the authority to cast out devils, to heal the sick. In fact, to raise the dead. And surprisingly, one of the guys who had this power and exercised it, because when they came back, they reported, Oh, master, they were rejoicing. The demons are subject to us. And guess one of the people who was part of them. Judas is carried. And that says a lot to some of us who are so fixated about the miraculous. Even Judas cast out demons. Take note of that. Even Judas cast out demons. So don't get caught up. Because he says in the last day, I mean in that day they will come. In that day they will come and say, we cast out devils in your name. We did all these things in your name. And he said, I know you not. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So the name of Jesus works for those who believe in him. I mean, just think about it. Judas cast out demons. He healed the sick, probably raised the dead. He gave them the authority to do these things. So miracles, the activation of the miraculous, does not necessarily indicate faith and a healthy relationship with God. That's an aside. That's an aside because, you know, the average Christian is so fixated with the miraculous, so fixated. We like what it gives to us to say, I laid my hands on the dead and they rose. There's a certain, you know, feeling it communicates of invincibility and then perception gives you reputation. I think I've said it here before when I was in school. I had to debunk. There was rumor that I raised the dead. I liked it for a while. But then I had to be honorable and say the truth that no, I didn't raise any dead. I was going to a small church in Akoka, which is not very far from the University of Lagos. So a certain gentleman had a stroke, had come into church where we were having rehearsals, and asked to see the pastor. But the pastor wasn't around. So I took initiative and I asked, What do you want, sir? And that this thing is really killing me. So I laid my hands on him, I prayed for him, and by the grace of God, he was walking. So people went and between talking about that, by, by the time he got to four, five, six people, he went from praying for, he became raising the dead. <laughs> so I'd say no. <laughs> not because I don't believe I can. but well, that's not what happened. But well, guess what? You know, some people would have taken the occasion to, you know, ah, well, yes, yeah, yeah, I raised the dead. Because those things give reputation. They give you a sense, a feeling of invincibility. Well, remember Judas. Raise the dead. Just bear that in mind. But again, that's not my focus today. So, follow me to journey. So, after Matthew chapter 10 comes other chapters. So, in terms of chronology, the event of Matthew chapter 10 happened before Matthew chapter 17. Now, unfortunately, by the time we read Matthew chapter 17, the same disciples who were given the authority, the power to cast out devils, to heal the sick, and to raise the dead, suddenly found themselves in this situation. I'm going to read to you now. And they had to ask the embarrassing question of Jesus. What's going on here? We thought we had this figured out. I thought I had this under wraps. But apparently I did not. So Matthew chapter 17. And let's read the few verses from verse 14 to verse 20 verse 14 to verse 20 i'm reading from the and study bible because that's what's on my bible app but it's the same scripture matthew chapter 17 from verse 14 to verse 20 and this is what it says can we please rise to read it together i'm trying to make that a culture we practice here From verse 14 to 20. Can we all see the screen? So let's read together from from one translation. Together, one, two, go. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, stop there. What power did he give them in Matthew 10.1? Please go back to Matthew 10.1. And let's read together. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Who could not heal him? Exactly. And gave them the authority over... What was disturbing this young man? Uh -uh. To cast them out... And to heal every disease and every affliction. Do we have a problem here or not? We have a problem here. There's a problem. Unless <laughs> I don't understand English. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. And continue from where we are. So, and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Next verse, let's read together. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted disciples. Take note. Did he say disciples? Who could not heal him? Who is Jesus talking to? Okay. Is there a problem there? Thank you. Let's go on. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus is getting personal. It's not about you. We couldn't heal this guy. What do you mean? How long are you to be with us? Kill like wake you and let's go. And Jesus rebuked the demon. Sorry, I just spoke in vernacular. Forgive me. I'm trying to learn not to do that in this church. We're an international church. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Uh-huh. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately like, ah! About you fall our hand. Sorry, vernacular. Uh, you fell our hand. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Ah, ah. He said to them, Because of your little faith. Woo! For truly, I say to you, If you have faith, then Jesus brings confusion. You just said it's because of our little faith. Then you are now telling us that if you have faith, Like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So, I were one of the disciples that have asked Jesus, Make up your mind. It's you either our faith is little or it's not little. If our faith is little and it could not heal, then, and you are recommending to us faith the size of a mustard seed, which is little, which one is it? Can you be very clear? What we are to do. <laughs> <laughs> we way Pastor of Life looking at Pastor, can you hurry? Let's sit down. I'm tired. <laughs> okay, please sit. <laughs> Praise God. Now, why are you punishing us like this? <laughs> okay. Okay. When you have an ambition to be a great preacher, some people just not let you be great. <laughs> Praise God. By their eyes, you shall know them. Say the eyes have it. <laughs> Hallelujah. You have a rascally pastor. I don't know. I don't understand who said somebody like this should be a pastor. When you go to a church and a musician is the pastor, you should. If I were you, I won't come. <laughs> I'd be very worried. So we have a problem here. Now let's go to Luke 17 and see the parallel. If maybe we may find a solution to our dilemma. See, this is how to study the scriptures honestly and do what Theologians call exegesis. What did I call it? Exegesis just means proper, dutiful examination of details to pick out what is true. The Bible says, search all things and pick that which is true. Yeah. Revelations can be very errant if you are not careful, if you don't get details. Rema begins with logos. If you don't know what the text says first, you can't know what it means. So, your reading determines the meaning. You have to be very careful to check that. So, let's look at Luke 17 this time and hope that we can find a solution there. Luke chapter 17. Please help me, sir. Praise God. Our media man is in church today. Hallelujah. Glory. God is good. And all the time. Yeah. So, look, chapter 17. We have a random question. Let's read from verse 1. Are you ready? Jesus said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So, for those of you who like to preach, just move on and just forgive, even you that offended. I'm not the one that said it. You just read what the Bible says. So I don't know how people can offend and not be moved. Uh So don't just be saying people should move on and forgive you for their own good. You say you are sorry. Nigerians are the only ones who apologize to you and preach to you about forgiveness. Say I'm sorry. He helps the person to forgive. So it is inevitable the stumbling blocks to come, but what are the ones through whom they come? It will be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Verse three. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to say, I repent, you must forgive him. Say you must forgive Pastor Tosin. Yes, I read that. This, this scripture has no connection with what I'm preaching. I just felt that I should read it in case somebody is angry at me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, this is where I'm going. The apostle said to the Lord after hearing about forgiveness. Apparently, they realize it's a mountain they cannot easily climb. Say, ah, oh God, this thing's is hard. Though. Increase our... Oh, Wow. Remember, we're talking about little faith from Matthew 17. He said, increase our faith. And the Lord answered. That's the connection between that scripture and this scripture. The story is not the same, but for the second time, Jesus is using the same statement. And the Lord answered, if you have faith, this time it was more specific. Not like a mustard seed. He says, the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this mulberry tree, the first time, what did he say you can speak to? The mountain. This time, To a tree. Good. Be uprooted. And planted. In the sea. And it will. Obey you. So let's get into the. The thick of it. The issue of. Size. Number. Is a challenge. With man. But God can save by a multitude or by a few. He started in the book of Genesis with a garden. And made a garden, a picture and a prototype. And then trusted that man would expand, multiply, replenish the earth. And have dominion over all that he created. So God started life himself for us as an example of how to build. That you start with a sample and then grow from there then we have several stories to support the fact we see in first kings chapter 17 in second kings chapter 4 the story of two great prophets elijah and elisha and both of them happen to have met widows the first one met a widow in first Kings 17 and this widow said all i have is just a little flower he said what do you have he said i have nothing all I have is a little flour, and with this flour, my intention was to make bread for myself, my son. We eat and we die. Then, Second Kings, chapter four, Elisha also meets another widow, and he says, "What do you have?" When she cried to him, "That my husband owed so much, may you not owe so much and leave your wife a problem in Jesus' name." But why do we always assume it's the husband that will die before the wife? <laughs> So, Madam, do not (laughs) leave. Death for a guy. Whoever goes before in Jesus' name, Amen. So, but he comes, says, sorry. She comes rather. She says, my husband is owing, and you know he was a good man. He was a man of God. He served you. He was one of your sons. But he's owing, and my creditors have come, and they even want to take my child. What do we do about the matter? And the Prophet asked, What do you have? And her first answer was nothing. But after saying nothing, she then said that I have a little jar of oil, and this jar of oil is all I have. Ah, but I thought you just said you have nothing. The man said, Take it, go and borrow pots and keep pouring it. It will not stop until your pots stop. And she came and reported that is exactly what you have said. He said, Go and sell it. Whatever is left, use that for yourself and your son. Again, God confronts the idea of size. Another instance, we see Gideon. Please give me chapter six and verse fourteen. Perfect for this story. Judges six fourteen. And this is what God said to Gideon when he called Gideon to deliver Israel. Judges chapter six verse fourteen. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this measure, this might of yours, and save Israel from the hand of Midiani. Do not I send. I don't be giving us kind of versions. Do not I? Did I not? Give us the one that asked, did I not? <laughs> but God faced him directly. Go in the strength. That is what? Yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? I'll give you a little theological background to Matthew 17. And this is why I told you, translations can challenge your revelation. And that's the reason you have paraphrased Language over time. Takes modes and and sounds that simplify and make it easy to understand over time. Different generations evolve language. The evolution of language differs from generation to generation. So what we call paraphrase versions are the versions that are written in simplified English, so you can really understand the context. And people make the mistake most times of saying King James is the authorized is the correct version. No. The same translations from which King James was translated. Is the same translations from which the current paraphrase versions were translated. So they didn't look at King James to simplify King James. The original text. That's the thinking that makes a lot of people struggle with reading paraphrase versions. And then because pastors are typically used to King James. No, there's nothing wrong with the Message translation, with New International Version. And in fact, as pastors, we need to encourage this more so that more people can study. The scriptures. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hmm, it's good to see it here. The Peter. Eh? This is what you do when daddy dies. Your hair goes down. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, depending on whatever translation you're reading, in the original Greek text, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Matthew chapter 17 never had, or Luke 17, the term size. Jesus actually did not say the size of a mustard seed. It was a comparative adverb. What it was actually was like the way a mustard seed grows. It was not saying the size of a mustard seed. So he's saying your faith must progress the way a seed progresses. And to buttress that, please give me Matthew chapter 13. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Let me help you understand this clearly before I then go into the heart of what the Lord is revealing to us today. Jesus gave several parables, illustrations in Matthew 13 to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And one of them was exactly the same description. That he used. Okay. My Bible law for now may be great. Matthew 13, please. Please go to maybe, I think, verse 10 there about. Matthew 13. No, no, no. Go, go, go. Okay, keep going down. To... Uh, I'm looking for the one that says the mustard seed is the smallest. The kingdom of God is like a seed, like mustard seed. It starts small and then it grows into a big. It's it's in Matthew 13. Have you seen it? What verse is that? Have you seen it? Verse 31. Yes, thank you. The news is down. Verse 31. He put another parable before them. Now, in this instance, is a parable. In that instance, it was a real situation. And then he quoted what he has said in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain again of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now, notice, hold on, before you go to the next verse, it says in his field, mustards don't grow in gardens. They're actually sown in large plantation fields. But it was the culture of Israel to sow in that era, majorly in gardens. Most homes were agrarian go on it is the smallest of all seeds now hold on before i go up here scientists have had all kinds of challenges with the scripture and some people uh there's a particular name they call them i remember who who had i think about the late 90s there about early 2000s had raised a challenge trying to use this as a basis to contest the authenticity and the authority of the scripture because there is a a species of seeds that are actually smaller than the mustard seeds. But what they missed is what... So I took my time to study, and I found that in in the history of species of seeds, there's a concept called species. What that concept means is that over time, species morph into others, and new species come up. In the day that Jesus lived, And when he spoke, the recognizable smallest seed available was the mustard seed. Now that's what they didn't take note of. So they are judging by the science and the reality of the times in which we live. Between that time and now, science says about almost a thousand thereabouts species of seeds are now available in the world that were not available in the world in the time of Jesus. So I have to say that just in case there's somebody here who's going to question and say, It's not the smallest seed. No, it is. But when it has grown, see what happens. It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes what? A tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So what's the meat of all of this plenty references and study? (laughs) The issue of size is an issue with the perception of man. Man believes... That the more it is and the bigger it is, the better it is. So when the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, increase our faith. What they thought was that the way faith works, faith is something you just add to. And the more it is, the better, the more powerful it is. They thought that was the reason they could not cast out the devil in that young man. By the time you got to the verse where they asked to increase their faith, they felt to forgive a person must take a lot. It's not very easy to be offended consistently and my faith is not at the level where I can bear it. I need you to increase my faith. I need help with it. If you read the Mark version or the Luke version of the story of that man and his son, the man said to Jesus, I believe, please help my unbelief. So what's the message for us, you and I today? We have to understand that faith is not something That is increased by addition. It is increased by growth. So the concept of the tree is the concept of the believer. Anybody who works with God must understand the seed principle. The seed principle is about growth. You don't add to faith. You grow faith. So the seed of the mustard seed didn't need to be increased. So when he said... Your faith is little. But if it is as little as the mustard seed. No, it was not confusing them. It was saying to them that your faith is small. In that you have not grown from the level of faith you had in Matthew 10. When I empowered you and I gave you the authority. By Matthew 17, you were still at that level. The reality you are confronting now is bigger and better. Please give me Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. Bigger and stronger I meant to say. Hebrews 5.14. And see that faith is exercised in order for you to gain strength and to grow. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers or discernment, trained by what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what happens to faith? It's not that it is so small and then you need to add faith to it. No. What happens is that your faith grows over time. Into a tree from a seed. So a faith that is small is not a faith that needs more faith. A faith that is small is a faith that has no life. That's the difference. As long as your faith has life, it can grow. Let me give you an example. So this is my daughter on your Lua mountains, right? By the time she's 25, 30, whatever time the Lord will will that she gets married, are we going to take her to a doctor to pump breast milk into her? To be able to feed her child. Where did it come from? When she was a seed born to us. From the point she was in her mother's womb. God had finished his work in her. Time unveils the different degrees and levels of the graces deposited. So there's no time God has to do anything extra. You just have to advance and grow. The challenge that confronts the authority of the believer over the circumstances and the situations of life. And this is very key because as we start a new year and you hear all this word and all this prophecy, if you stay where you used to be as a seed and you do not grow into a tree, there are things, even though you have the authority to confront, you will not be able to confront. Give me Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is what? A child. It's not different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. In other words, though it belongs to you and you have the authority over it to exercise over it, you are not able to because of where you are. So it is not a matter of size. It's a matter of... Say it's not a matter of size. It's a matter of growth. A man, Gideon, as I read to you, was told by God, Go in this your might. Twice God confronted his mindset about size. First of all, he felt that he needed to have more stature to be able to confront the enemies of Israel. God said, No, I have sent you. This your might is enough. Then the second challenge, when he finally got to the point where they were going to cross the river, to the to the, to the forefront of the battle. So when, when they got to the point where they were going to cross the river into the heat of the battle, God then says, guess what? You even have too many people. The army he was going to confront, even at 3,000, 30,000 soldiers, they were few compared to them. And then he says, you have too many people. And God reduced them to 300 which is where you get all these Spartan stories about the 300 and all. It's, it's just a myth, you know, trying to mimic or, or mock, talk the same story. And these 300 valiant men, by them, by the grace of God, in their lives and through them, they were able to conquer the Midianites. So God is always confronting the subject of size. Give me Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Look at this, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. And this is instructive for many of you so that you know in these days how to circumspectly pick. What God wants to be a part of. Does anyone dare despise this day of small beginnings? They'll change their tune when they see Zerubbabel setting the last stone in place. Going back to the vision, the messenger angel said, The seven lamps are the eyes of God probing the dark corners of the world like searchlights. So for example, the average person complains about the big churches. They tell you, in the big churches, they don't love us. They don't follow us up. Nobody even sees you. Nobody They say, leave the church now and come to Franchise." They say, no. You know why? They like the AC. They like the free songs. They like the caliber of people who go to those churches that they can, you know, socialize with. We are actually very carnal, but we abuse the pastors for being carnal. The pastors know that you are customers, and they know what you want. They give you what you want, so you come. Stop deceiving yourself. You like good music for free that you don't pay for. They give you Boso, give you Gloria Prima, give you Timothy Dakolo in one choir. Only one choir. These are superstars that do concerts and will pay for 5k to go and watch. One choir. <laughs> and you just concentrate grace like that. Localized grace in one place. It's, they know you like it. Especially when you are not paying, it's free is fantastic. Two, as I always tease, the next person sitting beside you just might be the governor. Normally, you have to go and fill a form to see him. So, why are you are there busy abusing and saying all oh, these churches is about buildings about hey, leave it now. Why are you not leaving? The churches that are not about building, they are bench. they are no cocoa. Oh there. You will not go. You are you, you are Kana. The pastor is righteous he knows you are kinder so to your customer take what you want and keep coming <laughs> so people people despise days of little that big work started somewhere everything is about the seed so in the book of genesis that's where you understand it when god created seed he describes the seed as an instrument that carries life He says he created everyone with what it takes for them to reproduce themselves. We should worry when you are not reproducing yourself. As time passes and waves over and winds over you, we ought to see you replicating and reproducing after yourself in greater measure. That's how we know there is life, not size. Not size. God confronts the matter of size again. When David appears before Goliath, and to Goliath, what do you take me for? That you bring me this dog? Am I a dog that you bring me this little boy that you think would just wield a stick and I will run away? But he didn't realize the boy was killing lions and bears, not dogs. dogs. Dogs were too small. So when he confronted him, the Bible says he charged confidently towards him. And it is, it, is, it is very important at this point, instructive for me to really settle this matter of faith once and for all. Because the question people then ask when you teach on subjects of faith is, what is really this faith? We have heard Hebrews 11.1. 1. We are tired. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is really this faith? Let me help you put it in simple layman's language. So break down that scripture. There are two things when it comes to faith. Say things. Yes, they are both things. It is the evidence of things hoped for. I mean, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of, again, things, not sin. And there are two ends to these things. One is what? Hoped for. The other one is not sin. So the things that you want, <laughs> that you are looking for, and the things that you don't see, but you believe. So let's example. We call the faith. We call the faith is different from having faith so if the bible says examine yourselves and see that you are still in the faith it's talking about christianity your work with god how do you have in what you have not seen before what well, can you really prove that jesus died on the cross were you there why do you believe it you see we're selective in our stupidity and if you're going to really walk in true faith you must be fully stupid what did i say you must be completely foolish you can't agree that red blood makes you white. This The science is not logical. Red stains white. But Jesus' own red makes white. Then one somebody dies, he dies for himself. Jesus' death was substitutionary. It was for you and for me. The when somebody died 2,000 years ago, it would only apply to those who were alive at that time. But his death is spread like a tent over time and applies to every soul that we confess and believe in him. These things are not normal to intelligent people. Though. Don't be thinking that you are brilliant. That's why you accepted Jesus. Because people who are really brilliant, Jesus. Let's be honest. It's not brilliant to accept Jesus. There's no intelligence with which you can explain that what happened in Israel concerns you in Lagos. There's no intelligence to explain it two what happened over two thousand christians keep saying 2000 well 2020 2020 years ago concerns you in 2020 it doesn't make sense then the worst part of it for me the worst part of it for me the one that feels the dumbest is that you now agreed to that one then every promise he made you after that you say no this one i need to use my that's what paul meant when he was speaking to the galatians oh you foolish galatians who has bewitched you? You began in faith, in the spirit. You now want to continue in the... Exactly. You know there's some joke your wife... When you mar- are you married, sir? When you're married, there's some joke your wife will joke with you. You just get the message. Say, hey, oh, now. When your wife starts saying, oh, now. That means before you are not sharp. Why are you sharp suddenly? Something is wrong. <laughs> you did not need to be this sharp. Why are you suddenly sharp? Did you you, you you get it? When the same thing you used to like, you're suddenly not liking it, they want to examine what happened. Why is it not interesting you? again? Yes. Okay, you've not started dating. When you used to call and talk for one hour, every night, suddenly they call you and say, I'm just tired. Ah, but you were tired yesterday. And you spoke. And then suddenly we started noticing that there's one girl. Ah! Her mind is going to go to, okay, is it that, have you been talking to her for one hour before my turn? <laughs> they, will, they will check. They will check. That's the way it is. So, the, the foolishness, or rather the fully, if you like, with which you came into faith must be sustained to fully get the benefit of faith. That is the seed principle, and that is how the seed becomes the tree. So quit this thinking. But however, don't forget, I'm sorry, I won't forget what I was trying to do. I was trying to explain to you this matter of faith once and for all. Let me settle it for you. How many of you here have land? Don't worry. they won't disturb you for money after service. Just tell us. Do you have land? Does anybody here have land? You own land. You're afraid to? Okay. You're afraid to. What can I use that you own? Land is the best. Land is the best. So let's say, let's, okay, let's assume Pastor Tosin has land. Hmm? Good. What's the evidence I have land? The Bible uses substance and evidence, so let's get it. So, what is the evidence that I have land? Eh? Is sea of all land? Is it land? But how come when I show it to you, you believe I have land? No, but it is not land. Real evidence is supposed to be that I point you to land. Do you get? If I tell you I have a son, normally. This is my son. But I show you a picture. It can't be anybody's son. I just showed you a picture. Fraudsters, what do they do? They just send you a picture. Yeah. You can't even say we resemble. There are many people that resemble who are not related. Yeah. So that doesn't mean anything. But guess what? You see the paper. You take it as proof, as substance, as evidence that I have learned. True or false. Now let me now tell you the one that's very regular that you use. So on your phone, you hear blip blip. And then you look at your balance. It says $1 million. Now, now let me ask you a question. No, no, hold on. Before you start romanticizing over <laughs> the amount, calm down. $1 million. This $1 million now, do you really have $1 million? How do you know you have it? Really, if we really want to check it, the real proof of having one million dollars is that I should count one one dollar up to one million. That's no. That's really when you have it. So guess what? Ownership is understood in two dimensions. There's handle and there is title. What I can handle is not always the only proof that I own. If I have a document that says title, it is mine. That alert that document that says you own the land is what the bible and the promises in them are if i Satan that he knows i own it when i show the devil the alert i am blessed when i show him the alert i am the head and not the tail when i show him the alert by his stripes i am healed When I show him the alert, I turn upwards only and not downwards. When I show him the alert that I am the exact representation of the image of God the Father. When I show him the alert that I am loved. (sighs) He bows. When you have a million dollars in your account and you show it to somebody, why do they say you are rich? They don't say you are rich because you have a million dollars. They say you are rich because they know the value of a million dollars. The value of a million dollars will buy you the things people you normally say are rich have. So even though I have not bought a house, I have not bought a Mercedes-Benz, the moment $1 million hits my account, in your head you can already see that I have houses, I have cars. Because what I have here gives me the authority and the power to purchase those things. Which other people have without this alert. Henceforth, the promises in the scriptures are your alert. The promises in the scriptures are your title documents. And when you believe what it says... An approach. Do you know the confidence when which somebody got an alert of two million approaches somebody to buy something of fifty thousand? You have not gone to the bank to confirm that is it really there? Do you get? With confidence, you go to the store and take your card out, not even checking that. What if they put the card in and it just does bleep bleep, insufficient funds? You, guys, you even have a song for it, No Man's Funds. What do you do? You will tell them, check it again. Why will you say, check it again? Mom, go to, ah! <laughs> you even show the person, say, come, go. you want to be insulting me over 32? Ah, How much is the food? 10 of us ate in this hotel, 6 5 per head, 5,000. Things to it, let me even dash you for 100k. Everything is 80k. I dash you 100k. Strike the card. Ah, you did it, it didn't work first and second. time I said, Check it again. Why are you saying check it again? Because every time he checks it, you go and check the alert. He checks it again, you go back and check the alert, and you keep seeing two million naira balance. Ah, you are you ah, something is wrong with your POS? It's not me. If you handle your faith like that, ah, ah. cancer, go. It's not going. Ah, ah. You look at the account. I'm healed. Cancer, go. Say, ah, ah. no, something is wrong with you, cancer. You're not listening. I said, go. My alert is reading. power, Authority. Healed. That's it. So, in this journey, as you consistently get the, the confrontation to your faith, Like the disciples, though you know that the hand of God is upon you, though you know you have been given authority over all unclean spirits, though you know that you have been sent into the world as sheep amongst wolves and therefore you must be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves, Though you know that the power of the Most High overtakes you and overwhelms you and you're able to conceive and breath great ideas, creativity and wisdom, you know you can take the mountains, you can level them, exalt the valleys and stretch in the crooked paths and the glory of the Lord may appear. Though you know it's a season when the Lord wants to elevate you by means of flying, by eagle's wings and bring you to compensation. Though you know it's the set time to favor Zion. If you ever by conditions and situations that confront your faith. Check the life of your seed. If it's growing, it will beat it. Just like a child. When they are born, their capacity to confront different situations will vary age to age, year to year. The capacity of your faith will not confront certain things now. There's a time factor of faith The time factor of faith is mistaken most times as God will do it in his own time. No. God will do it in the time when your faith is ready to exercise the authority. When you have grown from being a child. So guess what? God does not meet us at the point of our need. He meets us at the point of our faith. He meets you at the point of your faith. The things that are available to him which are not available to you is how far you have come in your faith. How far you have come. In your faith. Then surprisingly I ask. so God what shall I then do that my faith may grow and I may confront anything? And here is the answer that I found in the scriptures. Very interesting. You know they say according to Romans faith comes by what? I am hearing by but this is where those of us who are students of the Word of Faith movement have missed it over the years. If you're a follower of Kenneth Hagin, who is like the, the captain, the principal of the Word of Faith movement, one of the things that was confronted over time as one of the excesses of the teachings of the Word of Faith movement is that we now found out later that how faith comes is not how it grows. We make the mistake of thinking the way faith enters is the way faith matures. So the Bible never said faith grows by hearing. Think about that. The Bible never told you faith grows by what? Hearing. No. It says faith comes by hearing. As the word is preached, as I'm speaking to you now, your heart is drawing in pictures of possibilities, what you can do, the authority, the measure of the things God has given to you. But beyond that, to exercise it is a different subject completely. At the time I told my son, now that he has one million dollars, it's a different matter from when he has to go to that store and he can't reach my phone. And he's waiting for me to do a transfer. It's a different matter. Can he maintain his confidence in the face of that situation? When it's almost embarrassing and they're about to ship him out of Ebano? and he's the son of a man who has a million dollars that's the circumstance so as time went on from Matthew 10 remember I told you in, in, in the scriptures the seasons between one verse and one verse can be years and the time between one chapter and another chapter can be years many years many years I mean if you read the book of Job God appeared chapter 32 I think before that time and the time he appears. Yes. 32 chapters is not 32. It's not 32 days. Yes. There's time between it. Let me show you this. And this is what the Bible says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. So we find a strange answer in Matthew 17, I believe it's verse 21. Go back first to verse 20. Go back to verse 20. That we read. Verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20. So, this is what Jesus said. This is where we began. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Right? Right? Now, hear what Jesus then says after this. Go on. Verse 21. 21. Now. Sorry, 22, rather. That was 21 we just read. 22, now. No, 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 not that one. I'm sorry. No, give me Mark 9 rather. Mark 9. Mark 9, 29. Give me 28 first, verse, verse 28, first and 29. Mark chapter 9. So after arriving back home, I like the I like this translation. His disciples cornered Jesus and asked, Why couldn't we throw the demon out? Don't go to the next verse. Wait. So, according to Mark. It's not how faith enters. Faith increases. Hear what he then says to them. In Mark's own record. Verse 29. He answered, there is no way to get rid of this kind of demon. Except by by what? So, let me help you simplify it. There's a story in the Old Testament. That we did not know such an event happened after that event. Moses died. I think it was upon Mount Moriah. God asked him to come there and die. That's a privilege, <laughs> my guy. Come, come and die. Let me show you where you are going to die. And the Bible says to us, God buried him himself. So Moses is the one who had the honor of divine, yes, divine burial. Nobody knows his grave site. And theologians have a theory that the reason is probably because Moses was such a great man, they may have begun to worship him. But I will explain that. But for today, just bear in mind, for the purpose of the emphasis for now, that Jesus was led by the Spirit. The worst thing Satan can do for you is to leave you alone. You know why? All the great things the Lord has written concerning you are activated by the troubling of the waters. That's where they come from. That's where they come from. Until the enemy tests and confronts, you don't unveil glory. Life just flows as normal. Your seed is not living and it's not active. It is by the circumstances of pain, struggles, and challenges you unfold great portals of glory. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. Otherwise, the Bible would not have said, think about it. Think about it. The Bible says, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That means, the Bible The Bible is clear. What it means is, if Satan had actually seen that killing Jesus would have produced the salvation of men, what would he have done? He would have left him alone. So most times, Satan is troubling you because it is hidden from him that trouble is what will lead you into the glory. That's why it's troubling you. It's not troubling you if you think if he knows that if you are evicted from your house, somebody will give you a house. It will evict you. It will make your landlord like you. If Satan has to choose between you being homeless and never building your own house, at least least let him share be paying rent. Because if I make him homeless, he'll become a landlord. So rather than him becoming a landlord, at least if he's just paying his rent and let him stay there. If he leaves you comfortable, you are in trouble. There are four seasons in each year. They are commanded for different reasons. So there's no bad weather. There's just bad dress. It is up to you. In each, you can't change the seasons. They've been commanded. But you can adjust in each season to get the best of the season. That's what the devil is. He's commanded in seasons to unfold glories he does not know are hidden behind layers of what appears in his eyes. So he comes at it That's why the Bible says if he had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. To him, Jesus came to redeem. And he felt the redemption power of God was going to happen by Jesus living on earth. So, to stop redemption from coming to pass, he felt the right thing to do was to what? Kill Jesus. Not knowing killing Jesus is actually how redemption will come. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no what? Redemption of sin. That's what it is. And he did it through the right people also. Because normally he should have attacked Jesus with unbelievers, with wicked people. He used priests. It had to be priests. Whose duty was it to sacrifice the lamb in the old testament? It had to be priests. So sometimes it can be through your mom annoying you. Eh. (laughs) It can be a relationship that we just break, and the girl will just say for no reason I'm not doing it again. You don't have money. And you are there being hurt. The next thing, the next one I'll marry you, just get Canadian citizenship. See the way he smiles. (laughs) Those are two things in this season we must embrace. Faith comes alive by prayer. So, let me give you this analogy to explain the last thing I just said because some of you are still looking at me like, no, I don't want trouble. How is the seed planted? Nicely. First of all, the seed does not go up. Up is the we use up as a symbol of growth. We use up as a symbol of good. We use down as a symbol of recession and the symbol of what? Evil. But where do you plant to grow? You don't want to be kept down. Jesus. Then when the seed is planted, what happens? It is what? Hidden. How many of you like hiding? Everybody wants makeup on flake You want to be seen. You love being liked. Is that not what you like? But it is when the Bible says, except a seed falls down and dies, it abides alone. So what happens when it falls down and dies? It now grows roots. Before it was only a seed. Root grows one. It's no longer alone. It grows from roots, shoot to trunk. Branches, leaves, and then birds come, as that scripture said, and nest. And then the last, most important one, fruits for men to eat. The seed principle explains everything in our journey of life with God. You don't need, tell somebody I don't need more faith. I need to grow the faith that I have. Yes, so whatever you are not able to do, Whatever you're not able to confront, whatever you're not able to accomplish is a result of faith that is not growing, not faith that is lacking. And faith that is not growing is the result of the absence of prayer and submission to the processes of God, which sometimes can be persecution, can be challenges, can be pain, can be difficult moments. Those are the times you are forced to really pray. Let me ask you a question. What made Jesus really pray? Get Simone. What what really made Jesus pray? What made him pray? The cross. It was the cross. And when he told you, every man, follow me and carry your what? Uh-huh, it's cross that makes you pray. Nobody prays with clear eye. Oh, nobody likes prayer. You're just stand am Shapa Shapa Shaba. No, people just don't pray. <laughs> people just don't pray like that. <laughs> we give you cross to carry, then you pray. <laughs> that's how we pray. That's not how we should pray, but that's how man prays. That's how we pray. That's how we pray. So in the name of Jesus, I command that in this season, that grace wells up in this house to become truly a house of prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus. For this week, I am declaring openly for everyone. You see, so I had to take my time to teach you. so you don't think it's one of those religious things that we just do. We're going to take a fast and prayer this week. Am I wicked? Yes. Let's take a fast and prayer this week. Form yourselves into groups. What are you doing? You are growing your faith. The mustard seed is becoming the mulberry tree. In the course of study, I found one very interesting revelation that blessed me. So, take note. In Psalm 1. The tree is planted by the river. But in Jesus' case, he says the tree will be planted where? In the water. Thus, if you put a tree in water, will it stand? No, but you won't see it. In a, in a river, you won't see it. It, will, it, will not, it. it can't actually be planted in water. Yeah. It is a dimension of grace. When you are planted in the water, not by the water, This time you have gone beyond an ordinary tree. It is now a tree that can float. That's why Jesus walked on water. That's the difference. And his supplies are eternal. As long as the river does not dry, it can never run out of nutrients. It will always grow. That's the difference. So we are no longer just trees planted by the water. We are trees by faith in the waters. What do waters also represent? Adverse circumstances. When they overwhelm you, you swim in spite of them. You walk over them. We're going to be walking over water in this season. And I just want to enlist you. Just take a week, Monday to Friday. Let's do a fast and pray. Now, I don't legislate on fasting. Some of you know whether you want to do six to six, you want to do. Some of you, is that you want to do the six to six or you want to do Netflix? Uh so you choose (laughs) some of you want to get off sugar for some time, some of you want to take a social media fast no social media this whole week and see whether just test it whether you will die (laughs) as in you don't post one thing You you don't you don't like one thing you don't comment on one thing you don't open it for one week Influencer, I in, said, You know, go die. You could just say, say you, you go die. The guy say Me, I go die. That's the reality which you live. The guy said, Me, I would die. <laughs> live, oh. said, me, I will die oh. But I'm sensing that that's actually the fast you need to take. Oh. September. <laughs> but whatever kind of fast you feel you need to take in this season, Take a fast, not judgment, and do it. Again, remember the principle of the seed is that you grow. So if you need to break at two, you are growing. You are growing. Remember the song, One Day at a Time? That's how we sang it. You are growing. It's the seed, it grows. But it always becomes what? A tree. And this, this, this is very instructive. All of us must realize that we are called not to despise the seed. Don't despise this church because it's small. Don't despise your ideas because you don't have money. Don't despise a business because it just started and there's no capital. Don't despise the family you come from. Don't despise your nation. Despise nothing. You, only, you are only poor if you don't have a seed. The only person who lacks something is one who has no seed. That's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. As long as it is a seed, it has life in it, in time. It will produce. Rise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, nothing will confront me successfully. I will confront everything successfully. I am not just a child, I'm a living being. I am growing daily, and so is my confidence so is my authority. When I say to this, go, it goes. When I say to that, come, it comes. I have God's authority to do as he does in heaven here on earth. I'm God's seed and I'm growing into a mighty tree. I'm a tree planted by the rivers of water but I'm also a tree planted in the waters. I walk over the waves and over the storms. I am established in spite of adverse circumstances. I am fruitful. I am like Joseph. My branches are extending beyond my place and my fruits are feeding many. Nations are coming to seek wisdom at my lips. Ideas are flowing like a flood. Ideas are falling on me like rain. Opportunities are opening up to me. Relationships are coming to me. Connects are being being activated for my sake. Grace is at work in me. The seed that I am does not die when it is in the ground, when it is in hiding. But by the water of the word, of prayer, of fasting, I am busting out of hiding with glory. I am growing roots. I am growing shoots. I am growing trunk. I am growing branches. I am growing leaves. I am growing fruits. I am feeding many I am in charge. I have God's power. As long as I am the seed, I live and I become the tree. In Jesus' name. Why don't you put your hands together for Jesus and let's celebrate his grace. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. You may please be seated. Hallelujah. God bless you.